We have entitled this morning's message, The Truth Is, Man is Without Excuse. In verse 38, where we left off last time together, Pilate asked the question, if you look at verse 38, what is truth? And then never waited for an answer. He went out and basically said what he did. And really what we see here is the truth as we look at it this morning, is that every man is indeed without excuse. I would like you to turn in your Bibles for a moment this morning to Romans chapter 1 to a very familiar passage. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as you might guess, beginning in verse 18, and you probably have much of this memorized, but I would like to read verse Verses 18 through 23. Here we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And you may, first of all, this morning say, what in the world has that got to do with John chapter 18, verses 39 and 40? In order to try to defend sometimes a reason for not believing the gospel, in order to defend a reason for not coming to Christ, man very frequently raises the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What about those who really haven't had the opportunity? And it's supposed to be a coverall that just silences everybody. And I wanted to go to Romans 1 first because in Romans 1 we see that even through creation, God reveals himself to man. Hardly do we ever really encounter people that God has not given an opportunity, even in our own lives. God gives many opportunities to man, and the fact is that God can reach them no matter where they are in the world and no matter what the circumstances. And in our text this morning, we will see that every single one of these people were given an opportunity Oh, it might not have been the way we think of it, but they were given an opportunity to realize who they had in front of them, that is the Messiah, the one, the true, the living God, and deliberately, willingly chose not to follow or to look to him. It is also a passage that is before us that I believe can encourage us as believers to realize that we can convince no one of the gospel. It is the word of God that's living and powerful. 
It is God that must open up the heart of a dead man. It is God that must open up the heart of those who are unbelievers. There are times in our life, have you ever experienced it, that you just say, how can they not see because they are blind? Certainly after that presentation, I've had people say that to me here, you know, and not only when I preach, when others have preached, I've got to get that message and give it to my friend. When they hear that, they're going to get saved. Well, maybe not. Because God is the one that has to open the hearts. But I want you, first of all, to see there's various ways in which God reveals himself. In our text, we are exposed to some of the opportunities, though there might be different ways that I will approach it, or different ways that God exposes people to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also exposed to just how hard-hearted, how blind, and how foolish man can be. In our text, the Lord Jesus Christ has been up all night. Let's not use, lose that perspective. I think it's important for us to realize. He, again, you had the Garden of Gethsemane and everything else that had happened. He's been up all night. He, at this stage, is finished with the religious trials. There was no evidence of him being guilty of anything. There's been no conviction brought about in that examination. But currently, the religious leaders have brought him to what is known as his civil trial. They have brought him before Pontius Pilate. <clears throat> and that's where we find him in our text. And what we see here is people that represent different walks of life in the way they're going to, that's why I gave you the outline that I did, in my opinion, different walks of life and who find excuses not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've called Pilate for our purposes this morning the politician. And that's the first one we end up dealing with. As he's brought into the civil trial, where is he? He's before Pontius Pilate. And yes, Pontius Pilate is a politician. Various types of people that we run into, he represents one. What is his interest? His interest, that is Pontius Pilate, is in his political career. He's not really interested in truth. He's already asked the question, what is truth? He's interested in compromise. He's not interested in finding out the truth. He's interested in making everybody happy. We run into people like that all the time that they don't want to rock the boat with anybody, they just want to make everybody happy. That's really what we have with Pontius Pilate. He doesn't want to know the truth. He's not really interested even in believing the truth. What he knew already, as we have studied, is that the, Jew, the Jews, excuse me, had no legitimate charge. I won't repeat it, but read, look at verses 29 to 31 of chapter 18. He already knew that these men who had brought this man before him had no legitimate charges against him. They say, he said, what do you charge him with? They didn't have anything. Well, you take him out and judge him. He also knew, look at verse 38, that was where we ended up, that Jesus Christ was innocent. In verse 38, look what it says, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. That's where we left off. Politician. He, they had no charges. He finds them in, uh, innocent. And he also knew, listen carefully, that Jesus Christ was the king sent from God. He said, how did he know that? Look at verse 37 again. 
in verse 37, to put Pilate at ease, he says, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly, for I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. That's what led up to his comment of what is truth. There is no question. Has Pilate heard the gospel? Has Pilate had the opportunity? Has Pilate had the opportunity to present, be presented with who Jesus Christ was? Absolutely. He had in front of him the king. And yet, we find he did not release him. And he certainly, from all evidence that we can see, never believed on Jesus Christ. And yet he had the truth standing in front of him, the person who is the way, the truth, and the life, the person who says that he is a king and he was sent from heaven, his kingdom is not of this world, it is from above. All of this is presented in front of Pilate. What is Pilate doing? He is suppressing the truth. He's not interested in it. It isn't that he didn't have truth in front of him. It isn't that he didn't know that he wasn't innocent. It isn't that he didn't know that the Jews didn't just bring him out of their own envy and hatred for Christ. It wasn't that he didn't know that he wasn't sent into this world as a king. Christ told him so. He just didn't want it. He suppressed it. And what he was interested in as a politician was to find a way out. He as a leader didn't see the need for a savior. He just saw a need to make people happy. And don't be fooled quote-unquote, by politicians, folks, by application here, who just want to say they're a born-again Christian. Don't say, oh, boy, he said born-again Christian. He must be a born-again Christian. Some people will attach the name of Christ simply because they know it will win votes if you're in our country. Pilate was concerned about his political position only. He wasn't concerned about believing on Christ. He wasn't concerned about religion if you do a little bit of study on the life of Pilate at all. In fact, the evidence that we have right here that he's not interested in Jesus Christ really and just trying to politically keep the people happy, knowing this guy's innocent, trying to get him out of it somehow, and he looks for a way out. His way out is first to send him to Herod, and then second, his second way out this morning we will see is Barabbas. Ultimately, I want you to know and realize, because of what the scriptures say, I won't deal with the text, I'll point you to it this morning. Ultimately, Pontius Pilate rejected Jesus Christ. And he rejected him for political reasons only. How do you know he rejected him? Look at chapter 19. We'll wait till we get there to preach on it. But chapter 19, look at verse 12. In verse 12, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. Uh-oh. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. That politically would have been damaging. Verse 15. So they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate says to them, Shall I crucify your king? Another opportunity. The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And what you'll find is verse 16. So he handed him over to them to be crucified. He's not interested in truth, though he's asked the question. Don't get fooled by it. He's not interested in the king who said he is the king sent for this purpose to die. He's not interested into the theology of that at all. 
and he himself is guilty, just as every unbeliever is. He himself is guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He hands him over. So he's only interested in his political career. He's not really interested in truth. So don't get fooled all the time when people appear as though they're interested in truth. You will see it by the way they react. He re basically suppressed the truth. But what does he do? As a politician, he didn't believe the Lord Jesus Christ. He rejected him and was going to use him simply for his own end. So he first sends him to what I've called the entertainer seeker. That's Herod. Now it's interesting because our text in verses 39 and 40, we don't see it. John doesn't even bother with this. And, but he does deal with the second part, Barabbas, and I'll get to that. But it is important. Why is it important to just take a few minutes on it? Because it fits between verses 38 and 39. After 38, when he says, I find no fault in him, we find in verse 39 that he's already talking about the custom. But in between those words, he, Pilate, to try to get off the hook, sends him to Herod, the son of Herod the Great. That's who Herod is. The kingdom of Herod got divided to his sons, and one of them, turn with me to Luke chapter 3 for a moment. We'll come back to John. Luke chapter 3. He's going to be send, sent to Herod. And in Luke chapter 3, I won't read even the whole verse, but enough to get it for us today. In verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. Okay, that's where you got it. You got Herod. He's a tetrarch. Tetrarch just means basically that he was governor of a fourth area, uh, if you really want to break it down. But he was a governor. He is known as Herod the Tetrarch. He's known as Herod Antipas. This man that he's going to be sent to, that is Jesus Christ, is an immoral man. How do we know that? Well, look at chapter 3 of Luke. Just look for one second at verses 18 through 20. So with many other extortions, uh, uh, exhortations, excuse me, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded, notice this, by him because, and he's talking about John the Baptist here, but rep reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because, not just taking Herodias, watch this, and because of all the other wicked things which Herod had done. Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. This is Herod the Tetrarch. He's an immoral man. He's been involved in all kinds of evil. He's been involved in taking his brother's wife. Though I won't turn to it, he was involved in killing John the Baptist because he had a girl dance in front of him, basically, that caused temptation and everything else and got so satisfied that he'd give her whatever, and it resulted in the head of John the Baptist. This guy is immoral. This guy just loves entertainment. He loves sin. The entertainment's found in the daughter. The entertainment's found in taking the wife. The entertainment's found in all of his evil. And now he's had John the Baptist killed. By the way, you need to understand, before we get to the text again, that he also tried to kill Jesus Christ before this incident. How do we know that? Luke 13, turn there. Luke chapter 13. So Pilate's sending Jesus Christ to this man. 
in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 33, which I really felt we had to see because you won't understand, I don't think, the full impact of why Jesus Christ really doesn't speak before Herod. In verse 31, just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod wanted to kill Jesus Christ. And he said to them, this is Jesus, go tell, how's this for political correctness? Go tell that fox. Hmm. Behold, I cast out demons. This is part of why he knows about this. And perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I will reach my goal. Now watch. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day. Here it is. For it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words, what he's saying is this for our purposes. I can't be killed by Herod. I am going to die in Jerusalem. Herod's jurisdiction is Galilee. Pilate is going to send Jesus to Herod because he's ruling over the area of Galilee and Pilate sees it as a way out. Well, if Jesus ministered in Galilee and I sent it to him, he can take care of it. It's not going to work, Pilate. And Herod does nothing but want to kill Jesus Christ, really. And so we, we see in the context, Herod has no power over Jesus, even geographically. Why? Because it's in the Father's plan for Jesus Christ to die in Jerusalem. What was really going on with him? Well, go to Luke 23 now. Luke 23. I called him the entertainer. Why? Well, we see that in the beginning of his life. That is Herod, really. You come to Luke chapter 23, go to verse 6. So you see it. Beginning in verse 6. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether this, the man was a Galilean. This is talking about the, the, now Jesus Christ before Pilate. All of this is before verse 39 in our text. And so what you've got is he now hears that he was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, see, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now, when he sent them to Herod, he wasn't that far away. The point is, because of the Passover, they were down there. But when he hears that Jesus is from Galilee, his way out as a politician is, well, let me send him to Herod because he's got jurisdiction over Galilee. Now watch verse 8. Now, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus. He's the same guy that wants to kill him. Why is he glad? For he had wanted to see him for a long time, and he tells you why. Because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him, or basically a miracle. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. Now, why did he answer him nothing? I just showed you that because Herod's got no jurisdiction over him. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod, with his soldiers, after threatening him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends. Isn't that interesting? Because they had been enemies with one another that very day. But before this, they had been enemies with each other. 
Let me just go to a couple more verses. Pilate summoned the chief priests and rulers of the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you made against him. And watch verse 15. No, nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. He's been sent before Herod, and Herod doesn't find him guilty. And Pilate mentions that. But who is Herod? He's nothing more than someone that's looking out of curiosity. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people that that's really what they're interested in with Jesus Christ. They are curious about him. They've heard that he can do this. They heard that you can get a ticket to heaven if you look after him. They've heard that he can perform miracles. And there are ministries that are built on sensation and entertainment today in the name of Jesus Christ. That's Herod. All he's concerned about is curiosity. It said it right there. You read it. He was expecting to see Jesus do something for him. That is not why you come to Jesus Christ. That is not why a person gets salvation. It isn't coming to Jesus to get what I want. It's coming to Jesus as a humble sinner saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. And simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that he can, sa gets, uh, that he can save you. There are people that politically want to be attached to Jesus Christ. There are people today. Did Herod have his opportunity? Absolutely. He had in front of him the king of kings. And he didn't believe on him. Why? Because all his interest really in Jesus was, was to see him do some miracle, see him do something for him to entertain his life. And there are people today that are flocking to various places to see what Jesus can do for them. That's not a sign of a true believer. Ultimately, Herod rejected Jesus, even though he was innocent, and even though Herod knew he was innocent. He still rejected him. So what does he do? He sends him back. The next group that I deal with is the crowd, and that's where we find ourselves. All of that took place before you get to verse 39, in between verse 38 and 39. John chapter 18 now, verse 39. But you have a custom. Before I deal with Barabbas, let me say this. But you have a custom that I release someone, as I said, to you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? The crowd had their opportunity. They had already heard from Pilate, he's innocent. The religious leaders couldn't find him guilty. You've got Herod who's found him uh, uh, innocent as well. All of this evidence is before him. But apparently a tradition had arisen where they could release a prisoner. And, and they did it for the sake of the celebration that was going on. Now, it's very poor comparison. But yesterday, obviously, was St. Patrick's Day in Boston is a big one for that. So everybody flocks to Boston, wears their green, and so forth. Real interesting statistic I heard. actually learned it from my daughter. That when you go back and study the history that's related to St. Patrick is a blue color, not a green. So not to confuse you or to discourage you, by the way, but it's really blue. I don't know how it got to green, but nevertheless, it did. But the bottom line is they sell it, so everybody goes there, politicians and whatever. That's, this is a Passover that they allow the Jews to have, and everybody flocks. So all of this is going on, and the king of the Jews, 
is standing before him. He is their king. That is the crowds. He's our king. He's the king of kings. He's the king of the leaders, the governors. He's been proven innocent by rabbinical standards. He's been proven innocent by mosaic standards. I walked you through that. He's been proven innocent by Pilate's standards. He's been proven innocent by Herod's standards. And what do the people say? With all the evidence, you see, this isn't creation talking to them. This is the Messiah. Didn't Pilate have an opportunity? Yes. Herod have an opportunity? Yes. Did the crowds have the opportunity? Yes. And what did they say? We don't want him as our king. Crucify him. Why? The third category of the crowds wasn't necessarily for entertainment, per se, like some people want. It wasn't for political reasons. Jesus Christ did not meet their standards for the Messiah. Bottom line. There are people today that don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. Oh, I'll go so far. Uh, maybe he's an angel. Maybe he's a good man. Well, okay, maybe he's the son of God. But you're going to talk to me about Jesus Christ being God? I don't want to hear about it. You're going to talk to me about Jesus Christ as being the only way to heaven? That's not my standard for a Messiah. There's all these religions in the world. Yeah, but the only thing that counts is what God says, not what any religion says. And basically what you got with this crowd is opportunity after opportunity. They've seen the miracles of Jesus Christ. They've seen him. It was not just days ago. Don't forget this. I know I go back and review, but don't forget this. It was not just days ago that the crowd was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just days later, they're saying, crucify him. He doesn't meet our standards. There are all kinds of people that have been confronted from the scriptures, that have been confronted by your lives who have been changed, that have been confronted with the gospel, and they're saying, it doesn't meet my standard. I'm not interested. Don't tell me they haven't heard. There are politicians that have heard over and over again about Jesus Christ, and they don't even want the Bible in our schools or in our courts. Don't tell me they haven't heard. There are people that are seeking to be entertained by the name of Jesus and get everything they can out of that name financially or beneficially, but they don't want him as their Messiah or Savior by his standards. Don't tell me they haven't heard. And then, of all, here you've got a situation where there's now a custom, and they have a custom to have somebody released, and that leads us into the fourth category, and that's the one who is guilty. Barabbas. Let me just prepare you for that. How in the world the crowd could ever want the release of this guy over the Messiah of the world? But they did. You see the picture? Man's heart is so hard, he will do anything that he wants. And even in the name of religion, might attach the name of Jesus Christ if they can benefit politically might attach the name of Jesus Christ as long as they keep getting, 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 getting. 
whatever they can get out of him. And if any trial comes into their life, anything goes wrong, that's it. I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Or you get the guy who comes along, like uh, the crowd, who basically just doesn't meet our standards, just leave me alone. This last one's amazing. Verse 40 of our text. The guilty one. Who is that? Barabbas. So they cried out saying, not this man, not the king of the Jews, not the king of kings, not the way, the truth, and the life. Don't release him. Release to us Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Who is this guy? By the way, let me start with this. You know what Barabbas means? It's Barabbas. Ever hear this? You've been encouraged by this, I'm sure. And we cry to our father, Abba, Father. Does that ring a bell? Abba, Father. That's what we can cry out to God. Father, Father. What does Barabbas mean? The son of the father. That's what his name means. Here they've got the true son of the father, Jesus Christ, in front of them. They want the son of the father who's the murderer, who's been involved in an insurrection. They want the son of the father who's representative of man, not the son of the father who came from God. This man's a robber, it says in our text, or a thief. I found in the reading that I did Dr. Zodiati's definition of robber to be the most fascinating to me because of two words, and I'll read his definition. His definition of what this word thief means, it's the one who deprives another of their property, listen, by violence. This is not talking about a silent thief who sneaks into your home and steals something when you're not there. This type of thief was a violent thief who people saw, and he would rob you on the street. In Luke 23, let's go back there for a second. I want you to see this again. Oh, we didn't, never got there. In, in verse 18. Who is this Barabbas? Verse 18 and 19. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man, release for us Barabbas. And then look at what's said in verse 19. He wasn't just a robber. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city. What else? And for murder. This guy wasn't just a thief. This guy was a murderer. He killed people. This guy was involved in an insurrection. What does that mean? Sedition. What does that mean? He stood against Rome. This guy stood against Rome, and you know what? It may be that that's exactly what the people wanted. Remember, they wanted Rome overthrown. They weren't interested about the salvation of their souls. They were interested in Rome being overthrown, and this guy was involved in that. He was an enemy of Rome. Barabbas was an enemy of Rome, and probably an enemy of the people for the most part, but maybe their hero because he was trying to overthrow Rome. But he was certainly a murderer. He killed people in the process. He was a thief. I put it this way in my own personal notes. At a minimum, he was a protester who killed people. In the worst case scenario, 
He was a terrorist of his day. I don't know where to put him. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter. He was obviously a guilty man. He was deserving of death, not Jesus Christ. This man is a tremendous picture of salvation. He deserved to die. Pilate wanted him dead. The people didn't want this guy on the streets. And they're ready to turn around and release this guy called the son of the father, who's representative of their father, the devil, overtaking the son of the father, Jesus Christ, who came to pay the penalty for sin. Oh, he may be the people's Messiah in overthrowing Rome, Barabbas, but he's not God's Messiah. Jesus Christ is. If anybody ever stood what deliverance was, my friend, it was Barabbas. He knew. He knew why he was in prison. Why was he in prison? He was waiting execution, if you will. He was on death's row, and he deserved it. And yet, in his place, literally, he was going to be released. The worst, I cannot imagine. Could you allow me a little grace on this? Could you ever imagine capturing Osama bin Laden, bringing him to the United States of America, having him in prison, and having the people of the United States of America cry out and say, let him go. Let him go. I can't. Can you imagine the people of, let's say, um, Japan or Russia in those areas, the Jewish people, to take it to the extreme, turning around and saying, Hitler, you got him captured? Let him go. We don't care. Put him back on the streets. That's Barabbas. Over the innocent Jesus Christ. I don't know this for a fact, and it's on tape, so I heard, you heard me say that. I don't know this for a fact, but it is my personal opinion that Barabbas might have been the third one on that cross had Jesus Christ not been released. The two people that died with Jesus Christ were part of the insurrection. The two people that died on the cross next to, next to Jesus were robbers, thieves, and murderers. It was one of them that turned around and said, this man is innocent. We deserve what we're getting. The ringleader was probably Barabbas. If there was anyone who saw a visual aid of that should have been me. And that innocent man took my place. It was Barabbas. If you're saved today, if you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, we deserve the penalty of death. We deserve eternal separation from God. We deserve the absolute wrath of God on our sin. 
because we are all sinners. And by God's grace, Jesus Christ bore the penalty of our sins so we can cry out as we sang a little while ago, there is now no condemnation on me because the innocent one bore it for me. Every single one of these people suppressed it. I have no evidence anywhere in the word of God that Barabbas ever came to Christ. But if there was ever anyone who knew what it was like to be released and someone else to take his place substitutionarily, it was Barabbas. God gave the evidence to Pilate. God gave the evidence to Herod. God gave the evidence to the crowd. God gave the evidence to Barabbas, and not a one of them wanted it. They only wanted connection to Jesus Christ when it would benefit them. All of them suppressed it. That's what you've got in verses 39 and 40. It's not just, give us Barabbas and he's a robber. This guy was guilty of trying to overthrow Rome. He was a murderer. He was a robber. He was the worst of the worst. And rather than turn to the king of kings, they wanted the king of kings who was innocent crucified. Now, I know that it was all part of God's eternal plan. But folks, it's a picture of salvation. We deserve it all. He bore it. That's why I end with today the future hearer. Who is that? It's you and me. It's those that we have witness opportunity to witness to. Let me first of all encourage you as a believer, don't get discouraged when you talk to somebody and you think, how could they not believe? It's so plain to me. The only reason it's plain to you is because God opened your eyes to salvation, folks. And you might present the gospel as clear as can be. God must open that heart. There are some that want Jesus Christ for political reasons, like I said. They just want to be entertained, whatever I can get from him. There are others that you and I are witness to that they don't want the Jesus of the Bible. They'll talk about a Jesus, but it's another Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible that they want. This isn't a game. Continue to share the gospel and leave it with God. God has to open the heart. Herod's heart was so full of stones. So was Pilate. So was the crowds. So was probably Barabbas. The only one that we can rely on is God. Our job isn't to open the hearts. Our job is to leave that to the Holy Spirit and just preach the gospel. Are we sharing the good news? Jesus Christ stood before him and said, I am the king. I am the truth. I came from heaven. It's for this purpose that I'm coming here. They didn't want it. You may be here this morning as an unbeliever. You think Jesus Christ is a fine man. He was probably a good religious leader. Maybe he was even innocent. Maybe he was even the, the son of God. Maybe he was even the son of the Father. But Savior? The only Savior? The only way to get forgiveness of sins? I don't know that I can go that far. You are without excuse. That is the truth. Pilate said, what is truth? The truth is that all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. And as a sinner, you will be separated from the presence of God. We all would accept that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That is Jesus Christ. 
Why? So whosoever will believe in him, it's not doing anything. It's not playing religion. It's not confessing your sins to someone else. It's not going to church. It's not doing religious activities. Those things have their place. That's how it brings salvation. It's faith. It's belief in the true Son of the Father, in the true Son of God, Jesus Christ. And unless you humble your heart and come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, mark it down, you have been without excuse because you've been exposed to the gospel and you will spend eternity in hell fire which is real. God's desire is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that many of you are saved. What should that do? I believe it should give us a heart for the lost. I do. You know, I had something that was shared with me. It was actually came through an email, but it's something that just happened last week. I came, as you know, I was at a conference in California. And in that conference, what happened, one of the things that happened was that the John MacArthur Study Bible was translated into Arabic. And they presented him with a special copy. It looked like it was gold. I don't know, but I didn't get a chance to touch it. I was just sitting in the audience. But, you know, but it was a special Bible. But that's not what hit me, was that Arabic Bible. It was an email that I got this week. What was it? It was, there was another gentleman who wanted to see if he could get a copy of that Bible, and it was obtained for him, and tears rolled down his eyes. Saved man to think that he had the word of God in his language. And in the email, the person that wrote the email basically said, might we never lose the preciousness, something to this effect, and I can quote it exactly, the preciousness of having God's word and knowing him. Too many of us as Christians, you've been saved five years, 10 years, the, the, it gets worse when it gets numbers. 15, 20, 25 years. Have you lost the joy? You lost the excitement about picking this book up? We pick it up every day. This is God's word. You lost the joy of thinking, no condemnation. The innocent one was there for me. You lost the joy of just sharing that with somebody and saying, I'm saved. I think many of us have. We need to be stirred up. Might God stir us up to be a witness for him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and God, I know I'm guilty of taking for granted Christianity, believing on Christ, the Word of God, the Son of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the preciousness of sharing the joy of salvation. Father, I know even though many times we pray for relatives and friends, and we pray for years, Sometimes it drifts away and that we wonder and really don't have that burden as we really should. We look around us, we're critical of our politicians, we're critical of the world we live in, 
We're critical of what other people are doing, and we fail to see how lost they are and how in need they are of the good news that we possess. Father, help us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, let us not get discouraged. Though some people might want to just attach themselves to Jesus Christ, might want to be curious about him, might want to be entertained by him, might want to use him for their purposes, help us to recognize that it's not our job, it's our job to give the gospel. And help us to remember that the word of God is living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It was because someone shared the gospel with us that you opened up our hearts to the understanding of salvation. And help us stir us up to want to witness for you. And Father, there'd just be one soul in this room that has not yet come to Christ, and maybe they're curious, maybe they've been wondering, maybe they haven't wanted to come to Jesus Christ on his terms, they're trying to come on their terms. I pray that you'd help them to see that they are accountable. The truth is that they are guilty truth is that they are without excuse and I pray that by your grace you'd open up their hearts that they would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we'd be coming to him in faith today thank you for these moments together we pray that you'd just help us to ponder on these things and use the word in our hearts we ask this in Jesus name amen